This is CG. This is Danielle. And this is Lauren. And this is Black Girl Magic, a podcast. Welcome to Trump's America, ladies. (laughs) It's like so surreal, right? Like it doesn't feel like anything actually happened. But if you look at the Washington Post, lots of things happened. And they're all happening at one time. I didn't watch it. Right. Yeah. So did y'all watch or did you listen to? Or did you just skip it all together and just looked at it online? I read other people's takes on it and I watched some of the clips. Um, I just decided I was not, I, I was teaching that day anyway, so it kind of uh, answered the question for me how of how involved and engaged I should be in that regard. But I just could not, that was part of my own personal self-care, was not taking the time to look that dead in its face as it was occurring. Because it was just, I knew it was going to be hard, but I woke up that morning just devastated. And I knew it was coming, and I still just couldn't stand that that was the reality of the world we were entering into. Yeah, knowing him and realizing like what things make him tick, I didn't want to give him any ratings because I knew that was the first metric he would look at outside of like actual attendance. So I didn't turn it on. Um, I actually had to go to class that day as well. So I didn't actively engage. I looked online, I read a couple of things, and then I listened to the um, playback on NPR and read the transcript, but I wasn't about to like give him the satisfaction of reviews, knowing that knowing good and well, that's really all he cares about. He does not care about running this country. He wants to know if he's popular. So I disengaged a little bit um, just to like, you know, I know this is going to be a marathon. And so I was like, let me just start with a nice, easy jog. (laughs) So I watched I told myself I wasn't going to watch because like you, I didn't want to give the ratings, but then I gave into it because I just had to see this happening. Um, And it was as bad as you would imagine. Um, (laughs) The most interesting thing was watching the the reactions of the people around in the background. Mm -hmm. Um, Everyone just had this look on their face. I've never seen this with an inauguration. Typically people are smiling and, or at least they're trying to, you know, fake the funk, but people weren't even trying to fake it. Everybody just looked dismayed. Even his wife looked dismayed. Oh gosh. She looks so, so sad. She looked like a hostage. Like I really, in my heart of hearts, I believe that she was betting on him not winning so she could just go ahead and divorce him because I think it was just too much for her. Because it's one thing to be humiliated in private. It's another in public. And now she has to go through with this. And granted, I don't feel that bad for her because she also defended him when he was doing all that birther nonsense. Right. But to see someone's wife just stand up there and she looked disgusted kind of set the tone. And the speech was so third right that it was jarring. It was the past couple of days have been jarring. And then they followed that up the next day with the five minute hate, which I guess we can talk about later on this episode. Yeah. So the speech was just kind of like, 
it felt so disjointed. It felt like he had just taken like all the tweets. singular singular <laughs> lines and then like tried to put them together or whoever his speech writers are because it did not feel like it was a cohesive like we've got a theme other than America first. Like there was no right. real like unifying piece in it, especially for somebody that was like now that he was president, he was going to be president to all, or at least he said that like twice in the past two months. So whether he wants to or whether whether or not he wants to, he is president of all of us. So it was just, it was really like, not apocalyptic, but very just like jarring. That's a good word for it. And it was even jarring looking at the crowd because... Well, first, the crowd lacked diversity completely. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Everybody looked the same, but they didn't even look excited. You know, a couple of times they would cheer, but for the most part, they looked dismayed and downtrodden. And it was just sad all around. And there was there was one thing I wanted to point out. I didn't get any updates from Washington mm-hmm. Metropolitan Transit Authority regarding traffic <laughs> advisories or writing the Metro advisories. And I would like to point out that the next day on the date of the Women's March, I received approximately six emails concerning traffic advisories, delays in transit, those sorts of things. Why? Because nobody went to the inauguration. Irrespective of what they want to say, and here's the thing. nobody was there. So I'm going to... I'm going to put on my little transit hat for a second. The way, especially when you have a card a card and ticket system, the way that WMATA is set up, where you have to pass through a gate basically to get into the metro, they've got a perfect counter. It's not like, you know, somebody's like eyeballing it. You've got a pretty good <laughs> system to to figure out how how many rides there were at a certain time. The reason that they have that kind of kind of information is so that if a system is getting overcrowded due to a large event, they can send out more trains. If they don't need more trains, that automatically tells you that they've got less people. And it's not that, you know, none of the parking rides were full. They were all at like 50% capacity, which is low for a DC day. I saw Very photos low. of I saw photos of like of Google Maps, which I know good and well that that belt line is always red. I always whenever I drive up to DC, I'm always like, okay, if I leave at like noon, I'll be able to miss um I'll miss commuter traffic. And it's like, no, you won't. You're always in traffic in DC. You You're, never miss traffic. Ever. You never miss traffic. Cause everybody's going to leave. Like everybody's trying to stagger their leaving. And so it's always someone, always some group of people is leaving. So you will get stuck, especially around, um, Quantico. <laughs> like once you see that, that, um, the, is it the Naval base? Mm-hmm. It, well, it, it, the, it's, um, it's, it's Quantico and Fredericksburg. Once you see those signs, it's game yep. over. Yeah, you're just going to sit. You're just going to, you know, you're going to have an immediate, at least 30 to 45 minute wait before. And that's on a good day. Don't let it be an actual event. So he, and we'll get into what his, his view on his numbers. Facts. Yes. His alternative facts in a second, but let's, 
let's go through Friday a little bit in terms of what what was happening, like what was happening on campus for you, Danielle? I mean, oh, <laughs> it's just still so hard to talk about because it's just, it's just, it's so ridiculous. This is, this is real life. I mean, I just, I still can't wrap my head around the fact that this is the corner that we've been painted into. It's, it's, and a lot of my students were expressing similar uh, I would say students and colleagues, for that matter, were expressing similar concerns of feeling that, um, you know, they just weren't really sure how we came into this particular situation. And it's it's sort of like what we've already discussed, where it's not it's not surprising that America doubled down doubled down on racism and sexism. It's just horrifying. And there's a big difference in being surprised by a situation and just being out and out horrified by it. And I think that for many of us, we are absolutely horrified that this is something we now have to agitate against. Um, what I've sort of been reminding myself, though, is that um, change never comes top down it always goes bottom up and that we're that that change always comes from the people agitating for it because the people in positions of power frequently aren't invested in any kind of real change from the status quo um at least that benefits the people because you know that puts their position it makes their position very precarious um so i feel encouraged by the future but i'm also very concerned for the future because I'm concerned about about everyone's safety um, in the interim, and I'm concerned about all of our rights uh, being stripped away and all of our health, um, there are rights to health being stripped away now. So it's just it's sort of a hard situation, I think, to even to even talk about. And then so watching the inauguration for me like the the clips that I was able to watch it just I mean it it was like watching a play that like a poorly staged play where he was playing dress up is the best way he and his family were all playing dress up nobody looked particularly happy to be there like you said um cg nobody looked like they wanted to be there nobody looked like they knew what they were doing I mean (laughs) Trump didn't even and I mean, it's such a small thing, but like, good, goodness knows, he didn't even wait for his wife to get out the car before he headed up the stairs. That seems like politician <laughs> rule like, number one is like, at least pretend to care about your wife and take her arm. Like, and and I think Obama and, and uh, Barack and Michelle have made that you know real present for us because we saw this couple that loved each other and was always looking out for each other. Yeah, you can tell ways. that they had the conversations together of like, okay, if we're going to do this, we're in this together and this is how we're going to get in, get through this as a team. Right. And their conversations basically were, I'm I'm doing this. (laughs) And she was like, but, but I am doing this. Okay. Okay. Right. I mean, and you do feel bad for her. I mean, she, she made the choice to marry him for whatever, for the reasons I'm sure that we all presume were the reasons that that Melania married Donald Trump. But I mean, God, I feel I mean, I do feel for her like there there is a part of me that feels really sad for her that she's going to have to exist in the public realm 
with this being her her situation that everyone's going to see her being mistreated by her husband in this way. I don't. I don't. I don't at all. We all have she, choices. Some choices are easier than others to make. All choices have consequences. Right. This is a choice she's made. No, you're absolutely you are absolutely right with that. I just I don't know. It's pain. I guess it's painful for me to to for me to watch it. Like there's no there is no aspect of this shit that is not like just absolutely <laughs> painful, not painful to yeah. me I'd as like a human being. I like to know that Danielle cursed. <laughs> yes, because she never Noted. really curses on the podcast. <laughs> I'm just, it's like I, I've absolutely reached my breaking point. Like I, I was sitting in my office on Friday and like just staring off into space and somebody came by and was like, how are you doing? Are you, are you hanging in there? And I was like, meh. Yeah, like, I can't even answer it, like with a full word because like what what words exist right now that there are make no any words. of this make sense so I'm just I mean there is no part of this that I'm interested in seeing unfold like I just yeah. I don't I don't I don't want it I just don't want it I don't want any part of this what I wish I w- people would stop saying, or at least not people, um, the current participants of Trump Nation or like r- super r- right, uh, right-wing conservatives saying that we're liberal snowflakes and that we're, we're protesting and upset because we didn't win. And it's like, um, if you actually look at it, it's like it has – if he had come out on a platform that was like, you know what, I think that while I might have, cons- I might be fiscally conservative, I think I can have some pretty like socially responsible. It doesn't even have to be like socially liberal or progressive. It could just be responsible <laughs> platforms. I think he would have a better, a different. There would be a different narrative around it in terms of like people being upset, like when people protested for. Um, George W., it was against the war. There was a very particular thing that was happening that they were upset about. I don't know if he would have had the same amount, the same turnout as Trump in terms of like his platform because he wasn't just outright hateful. Um, So it's not people being upset around I didn't win, which also shows a very particular mindset for these people that it is all about winning versus, you know, taking care of an entire country it's party Um, over everything yeah and it's not even party it's it's whiteness over everything like yeah oh absolutely absolutely looking at the i've been trying to like stay somewhat with one side eye on comments and how they are being portrayed by the media and just the way that everyone's like oh um the white house is so classy now or yeah. Thank you for bringing Jesus back into the White House. And it's like, yeah. y'all are showing a very particular side of um, what you deem classy and what you deem beautiful and what you deem Christian. And it's all right. geared toward um, white supremacy. So it's like. I saw somebody post that Melania was bringing back the class and dignity of Jackie Kennedy, and then they straight up posted a picture of Katie Holmes dressed up as Jackie Kennedy. And, like, that for me crystallized. I was like, 
Oh, so when you're talking about Jackie Kennedy, who was beautiful and classy and all of those things, you don't even know who that is. So this is really legitimately just about a white woman being in the White House because you picked a picture of Katie Holmes and that to you indicated the class and dignity of the White House, of what the White House is meant to represent. Exactly. So, and like, I will give you this. Katie did a good job playing Jackie, but, but she, was she wasn't Jackie. Right. She wasn't Jackie. <laughs> like, that's well, not I even think, something to get confused. I think it highlights the identity politics that are at play here mm-hmm. because they view, and there was a, um, I watched part of the inaugural, the, well, online of images of the ball where they show where the entire family came out and stood on the stage. And there was so much plastic surgery. And just so mm-hmm. much money. But I realized that to their constituency, they represent an aspirational view of what they want to be, of how they right. see themselves. Right. This is what I want to look like. Even as far as, and I'm going to go there, as tacky as Donald Trump's home is with all that gold. It looks oh like someone without an ounce of, and I don't want to even say class because even if you're not born in a certain class, you just have a certain level of taste to where you just right. wouldn't do certain things. Yeah. But it, it looks like someone who's like, this is what it means to be rich. And to me, that is what they're aspiring right. to. And and there's another point that I wanted to make about That's the, the reason the, why he. Oh, go ahead. Okay. I just wanted to say about the liberal snowflake thing. For me, even that characterization marginalizes people of color because really they're referring to what they deem to be white, college-educated, blog, liberal yep. people. Mm-hmm. That's yep. who they're referring mm-hmm. to. Because let's be, let's be very clear here. maybe that's why here. that infuriates me. As a- yeah, because as a woman of color, I've never been afforded the privilege of being deemed delicate as a snowflake. There is nothing delicate right. about my <laughs> positions and my belief that the Constitution of the United States is supreme and that we all have equal rights. Mm-hmm. And so the the entire way the issues are being framed is just identity politics. They completely disregard and marginalize people of color. They don't even attack us. We're not the liberal snowflakes they're talking about. Right. No, That's so no. important. And I love that you're using identity politics to talk about whiteness, too, because it's so frequently used as the slur against people of color and poor people to pretend like our politics, our identity politics, but they're not real politics because we're not real Americans. And it's the real Americans who have an actual investment and say in the government and the way the government operates. And the rest of us just have like these, uh, you know, ridiculous these offshoots of exactly these offshoots that we have to get past to get to the heart of what matters to everybody else when it's just all the reification of white supremacy. Like I, I have never had it crystallized to me so well that the office of the presidency is meant to uphold white supremacy as I have since the president following Barack Obama is Donald Trump. Like it is the most symbolic display of no this is what it's supposed to be this is the moment that that we need to make clear yep it's like don't get it twisted we gave y'all eight years and that's enough we're done here and I feel like it's going to be a long time before we see another person of color in the in the White House and I was it's you know even through the election I was like you know what they might be so so not so into identity politics and white supremacy that they will 
you know, even let like even let a woman be president over this dude. Like they, I was hoping that they would just like skew that much that they were like, you know what, we can't just allow this dude to run our country versus someone who is so qualified. And the fact that she didn't, she didn't win shows just how much they're willing to hold on to the cloak of white privilege and white supremacy to the point and misogyny that they were not willing to let someone that was actually qualified to run a country actually do this job. Right. Did you guys see the Aziz Ansari open of SNL? I did. (laughs) So it's, I'll send you the link, but, um, and we'll put the link in the show notes, but it was kind of perfect the way that he just, that he described how, um, people that don't really assign themselves to Trump's beliefs and they're like, oh, well, not all white people are like that or I'm not a racist because I voted for Trump. Um, he compared him to Chris Brown. It's like, I'm just here for the tunes. I'm just here for the <laughs> tunes. It's like, I don't really assign myself to any of the other stuff, but the music is good. And it's like there are I know there are people that are out there that voted for him because they wanted something different and they felt like they needed some sort of change within the system, not realizing that they were actually buying further and doubling down on the system by electing him. And if nothing has made it more clear, it is his cabinet picks. Yeah, I mean, the thing that I just keep coming back to over and over again is just there there keeps being this conversation about like people might die because of these policies being implemented people are going to die like we need to start taking the might out of it it people will die because of these policies because of their lack of access to health insurance because of the or, uh, or yeah to health insurance and to health care because of the stripping away of women's a uh, woman's right to her own body people are going to literally die under trump it's not a game and he's I, I would be floored if he doesn't end up uh, sending us to war because war is such a, can, can be such a moneymaker. It's such a money machine. Um, I mean, he's... Go ahead, sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to say, you know, we, people keep talking about it in these, that idea that, that you're right, that Aziz, you know, points out this, you, you know, listening to Chris Brown and being like, I, you know, I don't care about the other stuff. I'm just here for the tunes. But when, but you're, what are you supporting right now? You know, what is the, what connection are you making to the, to everything else? Because you can't pick apart the president in that way that, that you're taking the whole package of everything. And he, he ain't playing around. He's already working as hard as he can, as hard as he ever has at any job. He is yep. working right now to strip away everyone's rights. And he's, so, and, and he's been doing it systematically. Everything he said he was going to do, he's gone. He's he started to do. I will say that I think some Wait, of those so people who were just the ACA and healthcare. Go ahead, Lauren. CG. Okay, yeah. I was just going to say I will say that I think some of those people who were just there for the tunes um, are realizing that maybe they should turn to another channel. Mm-hmm. And I say that because, and I think you were probably about to bring this up with the Affordable Care Act, um, particularly that's affecting a lot of people and they didn't know that it was affect, it would affect them, yep. which is, which right. is strange. Just because you didn't sign up through 
the the system doesn't mean that you did not get benefits from the ACA. Right. right. And, and, a, and a lot of them, you know, they don't know the difference. They don't know that Obamacare and Affordable Care Act is the same thing. They didn't know that they will be losing their benefits. And some of them are even going as far as saying, well, I didn't know that that was something he campaigned on. What are you talking about? He said it over and over again. And so it really makes you realize that people legitimately were not listening to what he was saying. It's like they were caught up in the rapture of the tent revival of Trump and they didn't hear anything that he said. And I can say this as a Southerner. I know what it's like to be at the tent revival. (laughs) And sometimes people say crazy (sighs) things and you're still waving your hands and then you go home like that's not what the Bible says. So (laughs) I feel like people are kind of having that voter's remorse where they're like, oh, but but I didn't, I didn't. Well, that's what he said. Right. So, I don't know what to tell you. Hope you got a plan for how to cure that. Yeah, black so. They don't. And that's a part of, you know, the people that are going to be caught up in this, in this body count, I think, at the end of the day, when it's, if let's think about who he's kind of modeling himself after. He's modeling himself after Reagan. Like, that's what. I think that's his supreme ideal of a president because he's ultimately trapped in the 80s. Um, uh, an actor, Hollywood star turned politician, check, um, running on this law and order campaign, check. And now he's going back and instituting things that were in, in the Reagan era. I feel mm-hmm. like what's going to happen is he's going to look at the ACA and it's going to end up being, and his repeal and replace will be how, how they, the Reagan administration dealt with AIDS and we're going to lose a lot of people to things Mm -hmm. that are simply curable and even already have things out there because there's going to be no regulation on, on prescriptions. Like if you're thinking about, you know, Let's look at the EpiPen when it went from being like $130 to $600. If you've got a nut, a nut allergy or any sort of allergy and you went from paying 100 to now having to pay 600 for for something that can literally save your life and you can't afford that or even even with the black lung stuff, even like I'm concerned about diabetes um, medications, insulin there is a corner on the market and there is if there are no more regulations around these prescriptions the prices are going to skyrocket to a point where people cannot maintain it and then you're just you're on a you're basically a ticking time bomb until your body stops working because you don't have the measures in place to actually like help you stay alive right so it's like things that people are not thinking about in terms of like why it's not just birth control. It's not just, you know, women's productive rights. It's not just free health care or lower health care. It's really about what other benefits were in place to help um, mitigate the cost for both employers and uh, those that are self, self-employed or did not have access to employer-based insurance. So it's... It, I think everybody needs to just gird their loins because it's it's going to be a bumpy ride because they do not have a plan in place. I bet you at the end of the day, because he's so narcissistic, he will repeal Obamacare in the ACA and 
rename it Trump Care just so that it has his name on it. And he'll be like, look at what I did. But it's the same damn thing. And people are still going to be upset. So I think that's the only reason that he's really like going after this is because he wants something to have his name on it. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking. I'm wondering if we should bring our girl Chrisette into this conversation, Chrisette Michelle, and talk about wanna. what kind of world we're living in. Oh, I didn't read the poem, the this is why I whatever. Oh, yeah, really I, an I read that, and then she released a song. Yeah, no, it, she released a song today that's supposed to explain it more, and I saw that and just <laughs> quietly closed out that window on my computer and was like, Chrisette, I like I'm trying, honey. I I tried, like, but I can't do it anymore, honey. Like I'm, I can't even love you from afar. Like I yeah. have to just be done at this point. I'm offended as someone who actually purchased her music. Yes. You know, there's a lot of people complaining who've never purchased or supported her as an artist. And I actually did. Or even heard of her. Or, or even I'm... heard of her. Aside yes. from what was it, R&B Divas or whatever right. foolishness she was on. What? It's like, it's I like, get that everybody really, needs a check. But my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> my goodness is just, it's... It's like, why could you not, like, read the cards, you know, like, shake the tea leaves a little bit, see what everybody else is going through, and be like, you know what, I need to figure out a different way to find some money to She should have used Jennifer Holiday as a cautionary tale, because Jennifer Holiday said yes, and then she said no, when she got dragged. That seemed like a good way to start thinking about, okay, this is this is really real if, you know, if you're not super politically inclined or you don't understand the whole story or whatever the case may be, you know, look to some people who have. And I think that the only good I'm finding in this whole Chrisette Michelle situation is that she really serves as a as a clear reminder to me about the fact that we are we are absolutely going to have to miss this during these next few years, certainly during the next hundred days, but but for the next few years, we're really going to have to decide which side of history we're going to stand on. Um, and that can't, I mean, it, it's, you know, all well and good while you're out there marching and while you feel this sense of solidarity and camaraderie or whatever the case may be. But there are these individual choices that we're going to have to make that demonstrate where we stand and what we believe in and where our line is. Um, and those can be hard to make, especially when you feel like you're making these choices in isolation. So it just it's it's a reminder that we have to stay vigilant, that our passivity can be seen as accepting this this uh, new normal and this awful uh, status quo that that resembles the oh, white yeah. supremacy we're let's, already so familiar. Let's go ahead with. and pivot since you brought up our our sisters out in the world. So I have seen a couple of, so first let me start with, it was, um, I was in NDC, I saw the um, Portland March for a little bit at the beginning because I had to go to class, um, but even just seeing the numbers of people pouring over these bridges, because Portland has about seven bridges across that connect downtown to the east side and southeast to southwest 
um, the two major ones coming into coming into downtown, just sidewalks packed. Just hundreds and hundreds of people crossing these bridges onto the off ramps into the downtown area. And I think their final count was like 100,000. And they were expecting like 50, I think they were permitted up to 30,000 people. Um, so that's just, it's mind boggling and on very many levels, um, inspiring and hopeful and gives that sense of solidarity. Like, okay, we all turned out, let's move forward. But (laughs) on the other side of that, I've seen some very poignant pieces around the, where have you been? And that is, that's kind of how I've felt since, um, since election day. And it's like, I'm, I'm super lucky to be surrounded by some pretty woke white folks um, that get it. And they know that the world is, some strange things are happening. And, you know, police brutality is always a thing. And they are constantly learning and figuring out how they can use their place of privilege to better the overall world and community. And so I'm... I luckily did not have to have a lot of these conversations of where you, where have you been, but it has been, I'm like, okay, so we can mobilize around this one particular event. And it's like, all right, we definitely, I know throughout the, the DC speeches, they covered a gamut of things, but a part of me is like, where Where have you been? Did you really just follow or toe the line when it came to dealing with any other protest or march around police brutality and Black Lives Matter because you thought that, oh, you had justified in some way that the person was at fault instead of just understanding that, no, they were actively being targeted or we are or people of color are seen in a different light than when dealing with um, the police, that the people are saying that they're afraid for their life when they're gunning down a 12-year-old boy in a park. So it's like, where were you when, you know, someone was being Facebook live streamed and shot? Where were you the next day? Where were, you know, my my office, I didn't go in the day after um, Philando Castile shooting because... I was pretty much rocked to my core and I could not deal with being in an office that was, wasn't aware of that. Um, wasn't aware of that. And luckily there were, there were a handful of people that did come up to me afterwards and it was like, I'm so sorry. I, and like, they took, they took the time to like, to think about how to approach the situation or to at least reach out and say, how are you doing? Because that it's heavy. It's super heavy to see these things. Um, so yeah, I just, I've been moved by seeing everybody mobilized, but then also moved by the responses of, okay, these next steps, what do we do? Because y'all are new to the game. And so how do we integrate you further so that this isn't your like congratulations tour of like, oh, we did it. No, you've done one thing. Now let's do more.
Yeah, that's been sort of my sense of the situation, too, is that I, um, I loved the show of solidarity, and I was really struck by how little it felt that it was for me, <laughs> that I could be a part of that solidarity. It just did not seem like there was a way for me to carve out a space in that particular uh, situation for a number of reasons. First, um, one one of the things that I was struck by was when I was debating whether or not I was going to go, and I ended up getting really sick that week, and so I so I it kind of solved <laughs> it answered the question for me. But I went back and forth a million times over whether or not I should bring my daughter with me because I was thinking, you know, this would be a great opportunity for her to see protest and solidarity and it would be a wonderful opportunity for her to see you know these strong women etc etc but I couldn't shake the feeling that if I brought my daughter out there there was always a potential of um, police brutality and then to see that there were zero arrests at all throughout this entire uh, march and to hear the police say when when questioned by journalists, well, why, you know, why didn't you guys come out in riot gear? Why was there a smaller police presence than, than usual to hear officers specifically say, well, we, we didn't assume this was going to be a threat. So we didn't treat it like one. Um, it makes me, I, it, it was like a whole new way of seeing, uh, peaceful protest where people, I mean, white women brought their kids to it without thinking twice, without have. I bet, I bet the vast majority didn't even consider what it would be like if, if police, if police started tear gassing people, you know, they, they had their children out there and I couldn't, I couldn't fathom bringing my daughter because I didn't want her to get hurt. Um, and then of course, you know, it, 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 that wasn't a situation where she would have gotten hurt apparently because of the optics of uh, what that event was supposed to represent. And in that same way, like it's, it just all this idea of like the optics and what we think matters is so significant to me here too, because when we see what can be accomplished when white women are, are willing to use their relative safety compared to women of color, we see, um, you know, that people are like they're they're that becomes a safe space, but black lives matters protests are not. Um, and it's not even because white people don't know if it's, if these police killings are just or unjust. I think, the majority is certainly, I mean, woke white people know that, that these killings are unjust and, um, all of those kinds of things. But I think on some fundamental level, the majority of woke white people aren't going to these protests because they, they know inherently that it's not a thing that can happen to them. And so they are not willing to actually go and protest. And there's that sort of a difference where this protest gets all of this press and publicity and is viewed as this sort of utopic movement, whereas uh, these protests that seem to be marked by people of color are treated in an entirely I've different seen way by, so many by variations everyone involved. Of like justifying why there was less police um, presence and how police were just super chummy and wearing their pink hats. Um, and they've been 
I've seen it from, oh, well, it was categorized as a march or it was permitted or it was um, it was a parade with a start and an end point. There wasn't a target like a city hall or um, they knew that they weren't going to go block block streets. And I'm like, I don't know if you noticed, but they were definitely in a street. <laughs> you can't have 100,000 to I, the new numbers now right. out for D.C. are one point. 2 million. You can't have 1.2 million people on the mall without people going into the street. You are officially blocking streets. Mm -hmm. So the fact that you're using that to justify just shows that there's an inherent, you know, unwantingness or inability to, to say, okay, you know, my, to acknowledge your privilege as a, as a female and as a person of, um, a per, you know, a person in the minority majority, um, or the majority majority. What are they now? Because it's and there's that piece of it that is really shocking to me. And I've seen like people try and really like. There's that photo of the guy holding the sign saying, "This like this is great. Now we'll see. Will we see all you nice white ladies at the next Black Lives Matter um, march?" And I've seen so many people just kind of like go in on that in terms of like, oh, it's so divisive. Oh, he he's being sexist or and it's like, no, they're calling out on a very particular situation that like, hey, um, this isn't if you're saying that you're about equality and equity and that's what this march is supposed to be about is in- inclusivity. You can't you don't get to cherry pick your topics anymore. You have to own up to, okay, if I'm supposed to be about everybody, I need to be about about everybody on on this stage. I yeah, know. it's – oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah, let's hear from say, you because you were in D.C. Um, <laughs> so <clears throat> I felt very conflicted about not going. And I went back and forth about it for a couple of weeks. And part of the – well, not part of the reason. The majority of – the big reason why I didn't go was – because it felt like performance art to me. I felt like this was a group project and I had done all the work and this is me being divisive and this is me not being intersectionalist Mm -hmm. or whatever you want to call it. (laughs) But I felt like women of color and particularly black women, I'm going to say this, have done so much work. We're literally the mules of the world when it comes to fighting for everybody's rights, everybody's rights. And yet when it comes time to stand up for us, everybody is silent. Or if they're not silent, then they catch you in the corner and they say something nice very quietly. But people don't show up and they don't show out for us. And because this was the impetus for this large movement, not the fact that there are girls being gang raped to death in India or the fact that, you know, we have police officers body slamming teenage girls of color and injuring them. Those aren't things that are significant enough to inspire this level of protest. But the fact Mm -hmm. that 
whoever you wanted to win because you felt that she was qualified. And I think that she was qualified as well because that person didn't win. Now we're going to march. And because he said, I'm going to grab P-U-S-S-Y, now you're going to march. But you didn't march when black women are routinely raped. And no one is held accountable. We've been raped for centuries and no one has been held accountable. Where was the march then? And so I really had a problem with supporting it because I felt like the impetus was flawed. I felt like it was disingenuous. I felt like it was performance art. And mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, my suspicions were confirmed on the day of the march. I didn't go to the march, but mm-hmm. I live in Alexandria and there were people all around me who were going. And I'm not saying it should have been a funeral dirge situation. I don't think everyone should have had long faces and, you know, tears and gnashing of teeth and pulling out of hair. But it was entirely too ebullient. It lacked the gravitas that this sort of march should have. It felt like these were the type of girls and women who just took their first women's studies class and now I'm your sister and now we're gonna march (laughs) oh my god it was so that I could not take it I literally waited for people to just go ahead on the elevator ahead of me because I didn't even want to be on the elevator with them because it was so freaking obnoxious no one was really talking about what they were marching about it was F the Cheetos Satan and all this idiocy that I felt undermined it. Right. The, and like the whole, the whole, exactly. And the, the whole hat thing and like the essentialization of pussy, pussy this, pussy that, whatever, whatever. Like I'm, I'm not a prude and I don't care if you want to say pussy, pussy, pussy. Like it really isn't going to bother me like that. But I, it felt like this opportunity for people who had always found pussy to be a dirty word, to be like, teehee, pussy. Look at me, how rad, how outrageous. I'm saying it. Look at me in this hat. I'm, I'm adorkable right now. Like, it, it, it was all of this sort of weird, like, performance of, like, essentialized femininity. And I didn't feel like it was a reclamation of the color pink or of gender norms. I thought it was just being like, I'm a girl. And I, I mean, it was very, like, yeah. 1995 no doubt like I'm just a girl kind of like that kind of very um easy understanding and it like it made me feel bad it made me feel bad for myself as a woman of color it made me feel even worse for trans women and it made me devastated for trans women of color like I could not even like it it made me physically ill to think of what that must have meant for trans women to go out there and um like even wearing these you know these these pink uh pussy hats or whatever and then to see like all of these signs about pussy this or like pussy grabs back my vagina my vagina all of which again are valid ways of thinking but the fact that that was the prevailing thought I just found so reductive in certain in certain ways because it and and even like the pinkness of it seemed to signal yeah. to me like a very certain yep. kind of white femininity that we were talking about um, that made me feel like this is not. It went to you a know, very like, gender normative, heteronormative oh, spectrum, I mean, like, even though just, I, I know personally there were people of the LGBTQ community um, 
and I know there were trans folks there, but it was very much, it very much skewed heteronormative and the, the onset of the, the pink hats and the, the claiming of, and I know because, you know, reproductive rights is a huge, huge issue, but there's, this is where, you know, one of the things that is flawed about intersectionality is that when it's not truly there, it ends up feeling like a bit of a clusterfuck because there's no true focus and it just becomes a mishmash of issues instead of just thinking about, okay, who are the women that we're trying to protect? Who are the women, like, what are the, what is the reproductive justice and not just, you know, reproductive rights in terms of like, I can have a child, but like, what are the just, what are the access to justice in terms of like, there are women there that might not be able to have children where an abortion might have a, a botched abortion might lead them to not being able to reproduce where it's not just about the having of a child, but all the healthcare that takes to be a woman. Um, and so I, I felt really, right. like, yes. And the damn the undue aunt. expense that it takes to, to be a woman of, as like, a result. Do choose to have a child or are able to have a child. The cost of it, the sheer cost of it is, is almost like debilitating um, where you're, you end up paying for your child. Like you're paying for a student. Right. Loan. <laughs> right. I mean, it's, I, you know, not to get too personal with anything, but you literally, I, I say this because we are all, the three of us are all Carolina grads that child yeah. care costs yeah. more than in-state tuition. <clears throat> to Carolina. That I mean, that's, insane. that's, that's insane. It's ridiculous. I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's just there. So there, there are all of these kinds of issues I think at play that are being undercut with this sort of essentialization. And quite frankly, like it, it all spoke to me about this very narrow view of feminism and this cult of white womanhood that we always see replicated all the time because these white women talking about their pussies is very very different than when black women talk about pussy and and it's this idea that oh black women are always sexual and always open to these kinds of conversations whereas white women they're being somehow subversive and disruptive by talking about it that that that's never a femininity that's afforded to women of color. So it, like all of it, just all of the optics of it made me feel, and I, and I hate to say it because I do have friends who were there and this is not at all to shame people. If people went and felt that solidarity and felt good about being there, I am happy for you. And I hope you take that momentum and you use it to enact positive change in the future because the road is going to be long, hard and exhausting from here on out. But that was not a space where I felt um, that I was going to be rejuvenated or or feel that kind of sisterhood. That's that's just never been. And a I was space kind of side eyeing um, some of the people who were there because not for nothing, wasn't it like fifty three percent of white women voted for Trump? So so somewhere okay, in the mix, yeah. Like how do you know? Some people yeah, who exactly. Were oh yeah. I find it very difficult to believe that all of the people there were Hillary supporters and voted for Hillary. There's a lot of people out here who are passing as Hillary, and I'm using the term passing because that's what they're doing. <laughs> they are passing as Hillary supporters when, in fact, when it, when it came down to they're it... They're not even passing as Hillary supporters. 
Go ahead. They're not even passing as Hillary supporters. They're passed like it's folks that did not vote for him. They might have voted for Bernie. They might have voted for Jill Stein. They might have voted for, um, oh, who's the other guy that I'm thinking of? Aleppo. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Gary Johnson. Gary Johnson. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> to in terms of them not being solely like Hillary supporters. But there probably were a couple that were some, some MAGA um, <laughs> fans out there now that they're realizing, oh, he, he might not actually make America any just okay again versus great. I don't need to march with people who have buyer's remorse. Like that's, that shouldn't have been what, what, that situation was about and I didn't feel like I could discern the difference yeah there There was so for the people that I know that did go to the uh to the march and I haven't had enough time to really like deep dive with any of them but one thing that I think it did well was it did bring some issues to the forefront where I think it was the time for folks to hear it. The folks that might be new to the the intersectional party. um, It might've been their first time hearing how women are treated in prison by Angela, you know, from Angela Davis's mouth, or that it might've been the first time that they have heard heard a Latino woman speaking about immigration issues. Um, So on, on that part, they did get that piece Correct, and I think it did start the wheels turning. Um, with that said, I I think I think you can take if everyone can take both sides of it and carry it with them in terms of like understanding. Yes, there was some buoyancy, and yes, there was some like some much needed cathartic, um, hopefulness needed out of it. But also realizing, okay, we've got a long way to go. Like, if you're coming to this this event thinking that it's only about this one thing, but then you're seeing all these different signs about, you know, not breaking up my family, it being more about, like, science and having, um, you know, immigration rights, trans women rights, women of color rights. Like, if you see all those other signs as well and you're able to take those in, then I am hopeful that we will be able to move forward and not go the way of Occupy where you had this big movement that was national but didn't have anywhere to go. Yeah, I think that's a, a good point. Like just, I don't know. I think that there's a, a lot of emotions running right now. And I guess my great hope for the future is that we are able to harness those in ways that are not merely visible but are um, focused and productive and, and are enacting tangible change. Um, that's one thing that I feel like the, the hippies of the sixties don't get their, uh, just do frequently about often when they would stage these protests, they had a clear end in mind. And I, I, I think that we need to have, when we're doing these protests, risks need to be taken and people have to have that clear end in mind. So with that clear end in mind, or at least, you know, 
as we move forward, knowing that the next four years are not going to be a sprint, even though as you get older, your time seems to move a lot quicker than it did when you were younger. Um, and knowing that this is a marathon, what are your, what are going to be your actions to, to care for yourself and to be able to get through the next four years, at least four years. Let's not, let's not speak into existence a, a two term administration. Um, yeah. So what are going to be your, your self care and what are your, your own personal actions, um, for the next, next four years, or at least for the next, next couple of days. That's how I feel. No. No. For me. Stop. Tell him, Marley. Oh. Come here, kitten. <laughs> uh, kitty, I, I'm with you. Yeah. <laughs> I'll start because mine aren't really that that much tied to to this, but mine and they're not my own personal things. They're more holding people to people, other people's feet to the fire. If you are new to the party. And you're trying to figure out how to be intersectional. You're asking questions that are that are deeper than Google. I will give you that. If you are trying to have a real, true conversation, then that is an action that I'm willing to take. I'm not going to save your soul by any means, but I am willing to have thoughtful conversations where you are really, where I know that you're really trying to have these conversations with other people and not just me. And you're not just leaning on me to tell you how to be a good ally. Um, then I'm, I'm willing to have those conversations with you because I feel like that's the only way to get some people to actually like get on board. So that's, one of my actions. Another action is making sure that people have conversations with their family members. If somebody is like, well, not all white people did this. I saw a quote today that was like, be the not all that you, oh, what did it say? Um, be the not all that you hope to see in the world. Kind of like off a play off the Gandhi, be the change you wish to see in the world. It's like, if you're going, if you're first to say the, you know, not all people did X, Y, and Z, then examine why that's your first first instance. And if you know people that were a part of the contingency of that 53%, go talk to them. I'm not at the dinner table, so I can't talk to them for you. So that's on you. So that's another action. And then in terms of self-care, I'm going to be getting offline a little bit more. Um, engaging with my friends when I have time. School is taking a lot of time out of my system and out of my day. And so having those moments where I can actually see people in real life is important. And so that will keep me sane. Okay. And that's Marley's. Okay, well, I guess I'll go next. Um, well, the first action item that I have is to actually use my law degree. Um, Do it. Because you know, I've always done pro bono work, 
but but what I was saying was to actually hey, use my impressive. law degree. I think I'm, <laughs> and and maybe this comes from being a lawyer, a lawyer in a lawyer town. I'm very cynical and jaded, so I'm not particularly interested in having conversations. I'm interested in litigating because people do not do it respond until there's some sort of financial mm-hmm. interest interest at stake. Um, so my goal is to find a cause, and I say a cause because I don't want to spread myself too thin, a cause to enact significant change through litigation. And I think that as an attorney, it is my obligation, and especially as an attorney of color, it is a heightened obligation to use the skill set that I'm still paying for and that so many people do not have to affect positive change in the same vein um, that was done in the 50s and in the 40s and in the 60s. So that is my action item. Um, because again, I'm just tired of talking to people. I'm not interested. Um, another part of my self-care. No, that's real. Yeah, that's it's real. like, never mind. I can tell you stories for days, yeah. but all I will say is people don't listen until you file a lawsuit. And then all of a sudden, everybody wants to get in contact with you. I can tell you um, then yeah, then they become like bill collectors. <laughs> hey, hey, what's going on? No, but I tried to call you ten times before I filed this suit. I'll see you in court. Um, as far as self care is concerned, I already sort of implemented my self care. Everybody knows I'm terrible at Facebook. I'm terrible at social media. I just do not log on. I kind of like blip on and then I blip off. But part of that was because when all of the videos started coming out with the um, police brutality and the shootings, I was so disturbed by the comments that I was reading that it really affected me psychologically and emotionally because I just felt um, dismayed and, and betrayed and all those other emotions. So as far as self-care is, I'm not reading the comment sections of anything. I'm not. I'm spending less time online. I will log on to check people who have sent direct messages. And I will Mm. respond if I feel like I need to post something, if I need to post an essay or something like that. I would do that. But I'm not interested in anybody's musings. The comment section is offline or off, off, um, off off the table since we actually elected they, or not we they elected a human and i'm also not gonna immediately turn on the news in the morning um, i know that sounds silly but i am a news junkie because growing up at my house the news was always the only thing that was on tv and i can't do that anymore i can't do it anymore because mm-hmm. it's too disgusting i have to set aside a time in the day to catch mm-hmm. up on the news and then i have to end it yeah you know, there are times where I wish I had a, an active skill set yeah. that can you know, provide, you know, that type of immediate policy change. Hopefully, you know, that, I'll get to that yeah, point. But at this stage of the game, mine has to be more. Mine has to be more feet on the ground and personal in terms of one on ones. But I wish I could just sue everybody. I want to file all <laughs> the lawsuits. I want them all to say my name. All the lawsuits. I yep. <laughs> It'll be Parker versus whatever at any stage of the game. Your granddaddy. Everybody. Yes. Well, um, I guess for me right now, uh, one of my big self care items is that I'm trying to I've, I'm trying to be more conscious, um, both physically and mentally, about my own health. 
Um, so I'm trying to <laughs> eat a little bit better and exercise a little bit more. <laughs> like nothing, nothing crazy, but like trying to make some some at least gestures toward healthier living. Um, particularly when our health care and uh, what our deductibles might be and all of those things are really in question right now. I'm trying to make sure that not only for myself, but for my family and for the people that I love that we're taking care of ourselves and doing everything, doing our due diligence personally uh, to keep our physical health um, up. And then as far as mental health, I've been trying um, really to make a fine line between um, my personal life and my professional life where I'm, where I'm trying to, because I write and that's, you know, what I do and I grade papers online and all of it, like everything is sort of attached to my computer. I'm reminding myself that it's okay to step away from my computer and just hang out with my family and hang out with my friends and like that the papers will be there the ideas will be there the writing is always always there and I can always come back to it and it's useful to have that time to recharge without feeling guilty that I haven't done enough work that I'm not doing enough work because I'm trying to keep myself uh, reminded also that that writing is this form form of activism as well and that I have to be I have to keep my, my mind sharp enough so that it's not sort of going through the motion. So, so taking that space to get away from it, I think, um, is really, uh, important. I also want to, the flip side of that is I also want to write more, um, sort of directed, uh, articles and pieces that, that kind of escape the scholarly realm and are talking more directly about what's going on in, in the world around us and trying to, use the knowledge that I've gained um, as a scholar of African-American literature and culture and a scholar of comedy and a scholar of the 21st century to talk about how I'm seeing these things playing themselves out and what we might be able to do to combat evil where we're finding it everywhere right now. So I think those are kind of my my ways of taking care of myself and still trying to take care of That's other awesome. people at the same time. So are there any moments of magic or you want to close out? I know there were moments, but I can't. I feel like I'm at the bottom of the well. <laughs> and I'm just waiting on the fire truck to show up. Hey, I mean, <laughs> part, of, part of this is going to be finding, like, the moments when, that we can. Um because they might be few and far between, but acknowledging that they are, they will be there because this is going to be, I think that's going to be part of that. Like self-care situation is finding the, the parts that can sustain you. So we might not have them today, but we might have them next month (laughs) and the month after that. So, We can call it call it a wrap as it is. We can call it. We made it. Yeah. <laughs> Yay! Or we made it through this 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 episode. Right, Everybody's it. still here. We made it this. That's an hour. Yeah. We're gonna keep surviving. That's my my magic. That that we we always survive. We're we're going to keep. We will keep surviving because we Absolutely. we will keep 
persevering. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to keep reheating my Dunkin' Donuts coffee and hope for the best. Because <laughs> that's... <laughs> that you know, you know it's actually better that's a send you some real coffee I worry I worry about your palate right now <laughs> I live in a place that coffee is very like luxurious so you reheating no, your Dunkin Donuts makes like me very sad <laughs> you just hold your nose and swallow and drink that's you just drink yep <laughs> All right, ladies, you can find us online sporadically, but we're there on Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr. Um, You can find us on SoundCloud and iTunes and Acast or wherever you want to find or listen to your podcast of choice. Um, Leave us a review when you get a chance. The more reviews, especially on iTunes, the more that we can, um, the more folks that can find us and we can continue to spread the magic until next time keep your head up sustain yourself find moments of joy and spread as much magic as you as you want to spread have an awesome week awesome month and we'll talk to you guys next time bye everybody bye